latest episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and with me are my usual two co-hosts, the master buck and the DJ. Hey guys. Yo, 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 yo. <laughs> wow, he's got a spring in his step. I didn't know your degree was in uh, speaking like a like a rap singer. <laughs> oh, just with the, with the introduction, you made it sound like I was, like, I, I thought that was the way I was supposed to respond. Uh. Right. <laughs> I could have gone out, come out and gone rock and roll. Are you going to save that for your graduation, Buck. Well, you don't really actually say anything when you walk across the stage. Oh, unless the uh, the chancellor asks you something. Well, yeah, you usually stop, shake hands with him, and he gives you your parchment, and then you yeah. wander on. Because when I uh, when I graduated, <clears throat> I walked across the stage, and the chancellor said something to me, and I answered him, and. At the end of the ceremony, my parents came to me and said, what did the Chancellor say to you? And it was completely gone from my mind. Yeah. Like he, um, when I did my undergrad, I walked across, shook his hand, and he said, congratulations. And I said, thank you very much. He said, um, must, you must be proud of your hard work. And I said, I am. It, it stuck to me because it was the first time I've ever spoken to the Chancellor. And yeah, he's a pretty cool bloke. Yeah, I'd never even seen him until then. I've seen the Vice-Chancellor plenty of times, but never the Chancellor. Okay. Anyway, our first topic for tonight is from the Master of Mysteries about the mystery of the sun's magnetic waves. Yes. Well, it's not about the magnetic waves. It's actually, the magnetic waves are actually part of it. Um, it's actually with the um, heat and the corona. So, yeah, for more than 60 years, um, they've been studying the magnetic waves that leave the interior of the sun and trying to work out why every now and again they grow in strength, but there's no explanation of why that they could discover. No, nothing happening they could see. And particularly with um, the coronas, the sun's corona, high temperatures. And different people have been looking at it at different times, but there's a group that's gotten together that call themselves WALSA, which is Waves in Lower Solar Atmosphere from the University of Exeter and other places such as um, the National Science Foundation's Dunn Solar Telescope in New Mexico, plus um, Queen's University in Belfast and a whole heap of places. But they've sat back and been studying and they've actually worked out that it's actually... I'll try to make sure I get the correct explanation here. It's an acoustic resonator which is formed and changes and that where there's significant um, changes in temperature between the surface of the sun and its outer corona and they're partially reflective and act to trap the waves which thereby increases the level of intensity. That reminds me a lot of uh, a laser. Pretty much. have a mirror on both ends of a box and reflect the light backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. Well, actually it's um, a laser is a mirror along a tube which focuses a, into a tighter beam pattern. Um, I just need a bit of help with the terminology. Terminology. What's the corona means? You should know this, DJ. Come see me after class. <laughs> Haven't you been doing I, your study? I've, I've, heard that ter- I've heard that term a long time ago, but it's been a while. I just need some refresher. Well, it's a brand of beer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know that type which, of corona. The other Most people like to have their corona cold, but the sun <laughs> likes it hot. <laughs> Which is actually what the uh, Marilyn Monroe movie, Sun Like It Hot. <laughs> It was a science fiction movie about why the sun liked to have hot corona. <laughs> yes. um, I've actually got here, but my um, yeah, my laptop's just decided it's going to be kind of nasty to me for a moment. Um, 
the Corona's the like, it's like a, at the focal point. Like you got the there's bits of, of um, energy and so forth that bounce out away from the sun's surface. Um, so the Corona itself is isn't it the layer just above the surface of the sun where the um, the solar flares are? Yeah, well that's kind of where I was going with um, like the, the, the flares and the explosions that oper- that come up there. It's yeah, it's a, it's like a focal point area. Okay, oh, here we go. So yeah, the corona is the aura of plasma that surrounds the sun and other stars, and the sun's corona extends millions of kilometers out into outer space and can easily be seen during a total solar eclipse. So when yeah, when there's a solar eclipse and the moon moves across and you've got big halo effect and there's all the, the bits and pieces moving out and waving around, yeah, that's the corona. Oh, okay. It's a very cool effect, but unfortunately, you're going to have to wait about twenty years to see it again. Yeah. And also, um, one, as soon as I think I remember, like as soon as the corona ends, the it, the little first hint of sunlight could affect your eyes. Well, that's not the corona. The corona is there all the time. It's uh, the eclipse you're talking uh, about there. The corona is the aura that's around the sun all the time, with the energy and light and radiation coming off of the sun. You got to remember uh, this: the sun's actually a giant ball of energy that's constantly exploding and interacting with itself so yeah kind of like when you when you see a, a campfire from a distance and you got the ambient light from a distance from you see from a fair distance that's the that's kind of like a corona okay so what does this mean in terms of star physics does it change any major theories I don't uh, don't think it's actually changing anything but it's helping to explain um, a lot of the temperatures and some of the fluctuations with it. And there's probably going to be a lot of um, further research that's going to come out of it because they now understand it. So it's just, yeah, it's just one of those things in life that people have been trying to work out why it's happening. Because when you look at solar flares, they're actually um, explosions that erupt out into outer space beyond the corona and solar flares actually knock out radio um, communication on Earth yes, they, at uh, different I mean, times. The most famous uh, solar flare event is the Carrington event back in the 1850s, I think. And yeah. it set fire to the telegraph lines. And even when the telegraph lines were de-energized, people reported being shocked by touching them because um, there was that much energy, like electromagnetic energy in the air that was being picked up by the cables, which were basically giant antennas. Mm-hmm. Well, they're usually um, just copper cable back of them, but yeah. Yeah, which is a little bit scary considering how much more copper cable we have going around now. That if yeah. another Carrington event happens, we have a pretty big issue. Well, we actually get hit by um, solar flares on a regular basis, and there's some like with um, some of the various um, telescopes and telescope arrays. At different times, they have to change the angle that they're at and so forth because of the fact that they can be hit directly by solar flares that they're actually acknowledge that they know that are coming and they're forecasted. And if they don't turn them away from it, it'll actually damage the antenna arrays in the solar in the um, dishes oh yeah it makes sense the coolest part is that when there's a major solar event the mm-hmm. increased energy causes auroras further north and south 
by DJ's found a link to the page of the Carrington event. Mm-hmm. Uh, they reported auroras as far north as Queensland. Yeah. Um, like, I know when um, there was one of the solar flares hit, I think it was in the 80s, they had that, they got the huge um, telescope or dish, which is basically a whole valley. I think they, uh, Arecibo, I think. I think that's the one. I, can, I always remember, try to remember the name. But yeah. From Goldeneye. Yeah. Um, they actually had a couple of people working in the centre and the solar flare actually arrived two hours ahead of schedule. <clears throat> it actually cooked them. Ah, uh, shoot. That's because, like, I don't know whether that's an urban myth or something or it's just it's something I heard, but it wouldn't surprise me. Like, when you look at a dish like that, it's designed to focus all that energy for a radio telescope into a small area. So if you're in that area and you get a, a solar flare hit, I can quite easily understand all that rate because it's a combination of microwave energy and different things like that. Um, when that bounces off the dish and comes back up into the um, focal area, I would hate to be there because like, even without those there, at different times you can cook steak because it focuses the sun's energy in the middle of the day up onto it. Yeah. So, I you can't think? find anything in a quick search about people dying at Arecibo, but there's a classic urban legend about um, someone sitting in front of a radar dish to keep warm and it not ending well for him. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, as I said, like, I don't know whether it actually happened or if it's an urban legend. Um, but yeah, like it's just one of those things. It wouldn't surprise me if it is and someone's just covered it up. But yeah. So you guys reckon this this will also be useful in predicting when's the next solar flare or? Well, they're really good at predicting solar flares. Um, this is going to be more with um, space travel. Like You're going to be able to understand exactly what's going on with the temperature and the magnetic resonance and, and all that sort of stuff and how it's interfering. The more you understand it, the less of a problem it is and the easier it is to overcome. Yeah. And it, the most important part is it gives you time to prepare because there's not a whole lot you can do to dodge a uh, solar flare. We're not moving the Earth out of the way anytime soon. Yeah, like a couple of the, like the, um, all your stations down in the Antarctica have to be aware of when the solar flares are coming because it wipes out radio communication. So there's nothing worse than being stuck in a place which is in, in permanent nighttime during winter and you lose complete contact with the outside world and you don't know what's going on. Here's another question for you guys. You reckon with this sort of research we could find a way to manipulate our own magnetic fields? In what way? So like um, I, I do recall animals depend on the magnetic field for in in terms of migratory, in terms of migratory, if, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, well, we use it as well with um, some of the GPS satellites and all that sort of stuff. But. Yeah. So the uh, well, the magnetic field shifts every. I can't remember off the top of my head now, but every X thousand years it reverses, mm-hmm. and we've been trending towards a reversal for quite a while now. So some people have this whole uh, the pole shift preppers. They think that the shift of the uh, magnetic field is going to basically cause the end of the world. But um, I don't think there's anything that people could do to manipulate it because it's so damn big. Like It's it's a fairly weak field, but the scale of it is too big to, I think, have a major impact on it. Mm-hmm. So that's one, another interesting point there. Like when you look at um, the North Pole, you've got true north and magnetic north. And there's, I can't remember the, how many de- degrees of difference it is at the moment. but it's- It depends where you are, but I think think in the uh, southeast Queensland region, it's about 11 degrees at the moment. Yeah, but uh, but when you're actually up at the actual North Pole, if you're at true north, it's in one position. And if you go for where um, magnetic north is, it's 
I think it's like it's a, a couple couple hundred k's away from the same. Like you have to travel to go to where Magnetic North is. Yeah. So and, yeah. Uh, actually, there's a uh, yeah, there's a section in that um, that Magnetic Field Linkpedia there, DJ, uh, which is for the magnetic pole movements, and you can see it did a bit of a dance around Victoria Island in Canada, and now it's heading north to, across the uh, across the Arctic towards Russia. Oh, okay. But um, um, but uh, just so, sorry to interrupt, guys. Um, in terms of magnetic declination from a Bris- from Brisbane, it's plus eleven degrees. Yeah, so it's it's just saying that um, the difference between true north and magnetic north is plus eleven degrees from true north is magnetic north, but only in Brisbane. Yeah, because um, the magnetic field isn't perfectly straight, so it's slightly different depending on where you are. So um, when you're actually out doing your um, orienteering and you photo map and a compass, these are important things to know depending on where you are at different times because if it, when you travel for if overland for a couple of hundred kilometers one degree may not sound like much but when you get a couple of hundred kilometers along it can be um 20 k's away from where you're supposed to be yeah it's um they teach us a lot of basic orienteering in scouts like working just from a map and compass and there is so much to take into account like with how you navigate around obstacles how you deliberately navigate away from your destination mm-hmm. so uh if you want to reach a certain point on a road that goes like perpendicular or close to it from your path you pick a direction slightly left or right of the actual location that way when you hit the road you know which way to go to get to the place if you've been inaccurate mm-hmm. but um yeah coming back to the situation here uh with this article it's quite interesting like the when you look at um the variations in the elements that had to be allowed in relation to the speeds of the sun's plasma all being uncovered in the time scales it was like the mathematics behind this is absolutely freaking incredible and it opens the door to a new understanding of the mystery surrounding the sun and the coronal heating problem so like we're looking at um global warming right so the source of our a majority of our heat is the sun so what we while we're, we're thousands and thousands of kilometers away it's understanding things like this helps us understand what's happening and they can prove what's going on with global warming for those people who still doubt the efficacy of the science involved shun so it's, it's kind of like it, to put to put it in a, a scientifically blunt term it's kind of stepping up and slapping you and sticking a thermometer somewhere where the sun doesn't shine <laughs> and not in a nice way either I did have a thought a moment ago that maybe some more research into the sun's magnetic field and corona can be transferred using fusion reacts. Well, that's probably part of something that they're going to they can be included. But it's yeah, like there's just there's so many different things that this can be applied to now because like the, the mere idea that the surface of the sun was creating its own acoustic resonator it's just like it's just weird like it's something that a lot of people probably hadn't considered but where the significant changes in temperature between the surface of the sun and the outer corona were have been creating this reflective surface that's trapping the waves of heat and thereby as you said before similar to a laser in creating an intensifying aspect 
So, yeah. The other interesting thing I noticed in this article is about um, the concept, the thickness of the resonance cavity. So the difference between the significant temperature changes. In what way? So, so let's say, for example, uh, um, Australia, for example, has the significant temperature change while we look at countries in America where they have a temperature change which is huge in terms of win- they're going through a bad winter. Ah, but you see, the thing there is what is the temperature scale you utilize we measure our temperature in celsius Mm -hmm. i think america is still using fahrenheit yeah america burma and liberia i believe although that is a an archer quote so take it with a grain of salt so yeah like um america talks about these massive um temperature fluctuations but yeah a lot of that is actually due to the temperature scale being utilized because i'll talk about temperatures of it's it's 103 yeah so the difference between zero and 40 degrees in celsius is the difference between about 30 and about 100 in fahrenheit whoa i remember watching a seeing a movie on tv years ago it was a um some movie where someone got turned into a snowman or something and he has to cross the uh cross the car park and they uh they have a, a radio host saying and it's approaching 70 degrees and i'm like what sort of apocalypse is this <laughs> yeah it's like you hear them talking on in different movies where they're saying about um, oh, the child's temperature is reaching 103 degrees. Great, I'm going to take him out of the oven. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's 103 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 39.4 recurring degrees Celsius. So, yeah, it's um, it, it's it's a big concern when you consider the fact that we're we're not supposed to be that hot. But, yeah, like it's a lot of drama over something that's mo- moderately manageable most of the time. Like It's just out here we have those sorts of conditions where, when you're working in different places. And, yeah, it's just... You just drink a lot more water, you put cold packs on and have the fans going and you just sweat uncomfortably. And there's no way to put it other than sweating. You, like, you, you walk around and you just got that much sweat dripping off you, you're leaving a river behind you. So, yeah, um, I can't see how this is going to help control that sort of stuff. This this research is going to control that sort of stuff here. But, yeah, when you start talking about temperature variations between Australia and America, it's yeah, it's literally it's just the scale utilised. Okay, but let's say, for example, they both Australia and and America use Celsius. Let's say mm-hmm. it happens. What will yeah. would that be? A, would that um, affect the rec- Would that be a benefit in, t- in in its own end? Will it help? Yes, because America would finally be getting on board with the best measurement system. Come <laughs> fight me, America! It, 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 it would help give a clearer picture so that everyone in the world understands what's going on. But see, so the other thing you got to look at there is there's a lot more variants that vari- variables that have got to be con- understood and attributable, such as. Um, um, atmospheric conditions like you got different mountain ranges in America that we don't have here um, all sorts of things like that that come into play that are affecting and the temperatures and the we're climate. getting a, a bit off topic but um, yeah. the a lot of this uh, cold weather in the northern hemisphere is because of the breakdown of currents that carry warm water from the tropics to the north so there's one in particular that's quite well known the, uh, the Gulf Stream travels from the Gulf of Mexico across the Pacific and up to uh, Europe. So Boston, I think, is on the same latitude as Barcelona, but it's significantly colder. Like, you think of the of Spain as this warm beach body sort of place. Well, but, it depends um, on the area of Spain you're in. True. But uh, the main reason Europe is so warm is because hot, hot, hot water from the south flows north and warms it up. But the melting ice caps and changing sea temperatures is disrupting that movement, which is leading to colder weather 
weather in the north. Mm-hmm. But anyway, our next topic is from the J. Yes. DJ. Yep, I'm here. I'm here. Our next topic is from the DJ. Oh, thank you. So, um, um coming- just to clarify, is are you saying that our next topic is from the DJ? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> We're skipping his. We're going right on. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. So, a comic book writer has claimed that the proliferation of piracy is a real problem and has encouraged others in the industry to share their concerns. So, Jim Sub, who one of the writers from Marvel and IDW, tweeted that 20 times as many people read comics illegally shared online than pay for digital or physical works. Uh, so in his thread, Zub has um, said having work spread being um, without being paid for initially created a vitality boost for creators, but now has become the norm for an audience of rapid consumption. So h- hang on a second. Hang on, hang on. Yep. So we got a guy who works for Marvel. And so IDW. He, he, he's, now, he's now a Disney princess. <laughs> Who's having a sook that people are pirating his work and he's not making as much money. Whereas Sean from Comics to Movies, who does XCT and a few others, is actually actively seeking to release his merchandise online. Yeah, yeah. I think and, this is uh, another one of those um, thin margins that Disney <laughs> likes to talk about. And he goes on to also say, I don't want to I don't want pirate readers to think it's no big deal or victimless, he tweeted. Content worth reading is content worth supporting. Well, I can agree with that. Like, if you're going to read a comic, you should pay for it. Yeah, but... Yes, as with basically any creative work, if you want to consume it, you should pay for it. If you look at his... If if you look at his thread, it's a very interesting thread to look at. Um, What um, what I've seen here, though, is that digital sales have gone stale for their sixth year, while print comics have declined too, which is interesting that digital is not taking off in comics like it is in so many other spaces. Is that just that? Is that just their sales have gone stagnant? Uh, I assume so. This is, um, I think, from Dave Gallagher, co-author of The Only Living Girl and co-founder of the studio Bottled Light. Okay, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious. If you look at the statistics for um, like manga and anime online sales and all that, I reckon they'd be climbing because there's been a move, which we've discussed before. There's, there's been a, a big shift away from Marvel and DC for comics because it's getting very like the, the actual material is getting stagnant yeah do we really need another Spider-Man origin story <laughs> I don't know maybe maybe Spider-Man's actually going to become part like it's going to be Spider-Hulk <sighs> but okay here's the stupid part about Copy, this whole copyright buck there thank you very much <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't already a thing uh, I don't know I don't want to know and I don't even want to think about it it. But here's, here's yes. the thing, though. Here's the thing, though, guys. They're now addressing it after all these years when people have been doing this for years. Well, of course they have. People have been pirating for hundreds of years. Basically, well, you know what? I bet the monks who copied the Bible in their monastery didn't pay anyone for the privilege of copying it. <laughs> That would be funny. Imagine if, if, if how do you think Jesus feels about that? Actually, they, <laughs> I think no, 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 no. They would have because all the different um, monasteries and all of that had to kick a tithe up the ladder to the bishops and cardinals and back to Rome. So true. So if we assume that uh, the Vatican owns the copyright Bible, then I suppose everyone's paying their dues. But then the Bible itself has been out of uh, out of any. 
copyright period for any country that still exists or no 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 because you got different vari- you got different variations of the bible that have been printed out, out now so true although the main ones are out of uh, out of copyright no yeah i can imagine all the all, all those p- people that are pirating stuff who are wearing a what would jesus do armbands right about well, now now i'm just imagining like if the printing <laughs> press had never been invented and people were pirating spider-man by just copying it out <laughs> Hey, I actually used to, um, like when I was younger, I used to actually sit there and draw Garfield by copying Garfield comics to teach me, like, learning how to draw. And, yeah, I got to the point where I could actually do a, a fairly reasonable um, Garfield freehand nice. at one point. Nice. Haven't done it for quite a long time now, um, probably longer than some of the, our listeners but have been alive. But, yeah, um, yeah. But back when I was growing up, you know how we used to um, pirate the songs that we used to like? We used to record them from the radio. Yeah. You used to listen to the um, top 40 or whatever. You listen to the radio at different times and you'd have, have a cassette set ready to go and you would hear your song coming up and you'd hit record so you could record that song. And that's why DJs used to, well, they still do, but that's why they do the talking over the beginning and end of songs so you yes. can't get a clean copy. Yeah. But the thing is, every new technology that makes it easier to share information makes it easier to pirate that information. Yeah, yeah. You, um, In t- before the printing press, you had to copy it by hand. Then you could print and press multiple copies really easily. And that made it really easy to share knowledge. But if you had a printing press, you could feasibly pirate books. And it's only gotten easier since then. And now we can just share a digital copy. I can email someone a comic right now. No issues. And it's so easy to distribute it. I'm not surprised piracy is. Yeah, I could. I wouldn't do it because I'm not going to pirate it. But... And in fact, just, I just we, I just did a quick Google search. Spider Hulk does exist. Yeah, so oh, yeah, I threw a link into the show notes there. <laughs> Only one but, appearance though. Oh, but um, yeah, back to the story. So Joe Glass also um contributed in his with his um with his take on it by saying that uh, piracy is a stumbling block to, to getting uh, further work published rather than giving him exposure. I tried to consider the benefits, but now I ultimately can't see it at anything other than stealing. If every person to pirate his work has brought, uh, brought an issue instead, it would mean enough hatement to me and my whole creative team in full of the series and a good step uh, of the way into the next project. Hang on, hang on, hang on. But when we look at, the, at companies like Marvel, you've got the creative team creating the comics, right? Yeah. The, how, that's probably, what, 5% of the entire organization now? Where, and they've got so much other deadweight of corporate infrastructure with all the merchandising, the movies and who knows what else like what's the price like I haven't even gone and looked at a, the price of Marvel comics in a long time but how much are they when you buy them now like last time I looked at anything it was like 15 to 20 dollars uh, from a low comic shop so like comics etc check the price for let's say ooh, absolute carnage number three or five at the moment it's costing about nine dollars fifty nine dollars nine dollars fifty is is that just the thin comic like you used to get or is it a big dick compendium this is the thin comic like yeah so ten dollars when i was when i was a kid and i'm, I'm not i'm not trying to sound harsh here back in my day it was like <laughs> they were like 30 cents like it was like it, yeah. they, they used to be sold for like 10 cents and 15 cents and 30 cents how does that relate to the inflation though not no not good enough it's um when you look at the inflation of things like phone call used to be 30 cents or 20 cents at one point but then it was 30 cents to make a phone call at a payphone these days I think it's still only 50 cents 
Yeah, that's uh, assuming you can find a payphone in the first place. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like ten dollars is a huge chunk of cash, and they're move they're moving away from the biggest market. Area. Like they're chasing after adults, and they're forgetting the biggest market you want to go for is kids. So you got the next generation, and they're pricing themselves out of the market. Like who's going to go give a kid ten dollars to buy a, a thing comic every week? You give a kid ten dollars. Like you think the pocket money you got to give to a kid these days with the cost of living and everything else going on when i was like i'm not i don't know i'm going like when i was i'm sound like the old when i was a boy <laughs> i get my pocket money right and I, i'd only get half of it each week my mum would bank the other half of it so if i got a dollar i was happy and that was my pocket money when i was when i was before i was 12 with that dollar i could go get myself a can of coke a bag of lollies play some games on the arcade game and buy a comic if i wanted to can't do that anymore though there's too many cameras yeah no no you could i, I meant pay for them i know i'm taking the <laughs> but you know what you know what i mean like to do that now like say ten dollars for a comic a can of coke is what three dollars fifty or something like that now yeah yeah a bag of a bag of lollies is three dollars fifty as well and to go play a game if you can find a somewhere that's actually got an arcade game you're looking at um well, a dollar a game. Is a, it's a buck a go at netherworld well there you go so like i used to be able to like i used to get um three games playing um moon buggy like oh yeah i think i saw that in netherworld last month actually like so for a dollar i could get a can of coke a bag of lollies a comic and play three games so to do the the equivalent today you, you got to give a kid 20 dollars a week just to cover that oh uh by the way guys for if you and uh, for graphic novels it's even more expensive like for example the absolute watchman uh co- this is for to celebrate the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. 135 bucks yeah but that's a that's a special edition but even there like who's going to buy that it's not going to be a kid is it no it won't it won't be a kid it would just be no. like collectors people and- buying watchmen are going to be adult collectors yeah. yeah i think we're better off comparing something like superman if we're talking about kids yeah that's true um by but the anyway, way um, oh, i, I think gonna... uh, one of the key issues they've got is a delivery issue i don't think the comic the big comic studios have done enough push digital delivery because no. um and they're pricing themselves out of the market yeah like if it's a digital edition you don't need to be spending ten dollars for it like they've got nothing for overheads other than the actual drawing they, so they're not paying for paper and all that so they can sell them at literally like the two dollars a copy a few years ago when i was reading the firefly comics on dark horse they were i think six dollars per uh, issue okay which is the price of a happy meal <laughs> <laughs> okay but here's the thing though could you say that the whole price increases is the reason why um comic book is the reason for to combat piracy but it's not well it's not to combat piracy because it encourages piracy ah. because you're gonna well why do people pirate because they don't want to spend ten dollars on a comic yeah well, well, it's a delivery issue. When i can just rip it off for free well at least with game development it's a delivery issue because a lot of people say they saw pirating when they got steam yeah and um the other thing is music these days is so easy to pirate and the streaming sites pay you a pittance that um musicians basically make their money from touring yeah, so the uh, the physical release is advertising to come to their next concert that's something i've heard as well 
well, yeah. yeah so got- I think, um, well, with comic authors, they can go to Comic-Con or Supernova and sell merchandise and signatures and stuff. I uh, I don't know how game developers could really fit into a sort of live performance field, but um, not that many of us would want to. Being in public is mm-hmm. not fun. Um, by the way, Buck, you were saying about Marvel. Um, here's an interesting thing for you. In 2016, the top eight superhero movies earned over $1.9 billion in box office revenues, shooting up the, from the mere $688 million collected in 2015 when it comes to comics. Thin margins. <laughs> mm. But anyway, we've got to uh, keep it moving. Yeah. So, uh, I, oh, I was going to say one thing. Do you reckon web comics are also to be blamed? No, I think web comics are a great uh, distribution method, a great way to do it. I think the issue is people still pirate it, though. There's a tweet in this article from Andy Kloof who says that uh, he would run a webcomic, but people would rehost it on Reddit and Imja, and people would read it there, so he doesn't get his ad revenue because it's a free-to-read comic. The uh, only money he makes is ad revenue. Yeah. So if you're going to, um, if you have a comic or a musician or someone who you like, and you make sure you get that content from their website and turn your ad blocker off. Mm-hmm. you got su- to support yeah. the people that you enjoy. Like, you, you don't, if you don't support... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Order, it's going to disappear. Yeah, and I think that's also why we're so many people turn to Patreon now. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, like, um, I was just going to say, it's kind of like, like we, I showed the post on our Facebook page there from uh, Jamie Johnson. He's working on a new cover for a Phantom Comp. He, he's an Australian artist and yeah, like he, he makes his money from this and he also um, runs a school where he teaches people how to draw. So yeah, go go check out his artwork and support some of the these great artists out that are doing such incredible artwork like I can understand wanting to buy a physical copy of a comic because it's something you've got there permanently and you can hold but yeah you gotta you gotta think about the pricing it's gotta be a bit more realistic $10 a copy yeah and also people would Patreon well, what you said about Patreon is interesting as well some people would outright say this like oh I will still support your work but I'm just I'd just rather pirate it as well pirate <laughs> pirate it ah the old voice chips going again <laughs> I, I would like to pirate your work <laughs> is that like the gyrate <laughs> and uh, oh but back to what i was going to say the, the, it's such a shame though just to see comic um comic um creators now resorting to just full-time jobs just to get the money go but to pay for their comic that's how it used to be there were very few comic book artists that were just full-time artists yeah like when you go back to when stan lee started off he wasn't just drawing cartoons he was doing other stuff as well it's very few of them actually managed to make it big enough that that is all they do for a living same with many 
artists, musicians, game developers. It's hard to make a living as a creative these days. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we really got to keep moving it along. <laughs> Stop <laughs> distracting me. Um, my uh, topic for this week is the latest Valve news. There's three items. The Steam controller has gone on a uh, last hurrah sale because it's been discontinued and Valve are now out of stock, unfortunately. So uh, if you miss the uh, $5 deal for purchasing in the US, that's a shame. If you live anywhere else, you're still screwed because they only had the deal in the US. And Valve also announced Half-Life Alex, the VR entry in the Half-Life series, a prequel to, well, set between Half-Life 1 and 2. You play as Alex in a full VR game, which led to the Valve Index being completely sold out within days after the announcement of Half-Life Alex. So Valve has basically resurrected from the dead. Hey, I've heard more about Valve in the past than I have in years. Everyone's so excited for Alex. (laughs) Maybe because Um, of... Oh, sorry, How's Valve being resurrected from the dead? They're not dead. Well, it's... Well, a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about how Steam was going through a whole lot of trouble. No, we said there's fluctuations and adaptions, and they're they're, they're that big. uh, Yeah, they've probably realised it, but it'd be a minor inconvenience with having some of the other game studios launching their own stuff. I think it was you were talking about Epic having their own online game store to compete against Steam. Yeah. And yeah, like Valve have set up Steam and it's the benchmark on how things are operating. It's going to be a while before they're going to struggle. They're still doing huge business. Like you're the only person I've ever heard say that Valve is dead. Oh, I didn't say Valve is dead, but I'm just but saying... You just said they're being resurrected from the dead. Yeah, after so much, so many months in the spotlight for not being away from the spotlight. Well, it's kind of like you're the biggest game in town. You don't have to make a song and dance about it. You just, you're there. Valve is like the Microsoft. They're so ubiquitous that they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And they've managed to ingrain themselves into society enough that they don't really face any risk, which is why they've let themselves go for so long, not releasing anything huge. Mm-hmm. If they were in money trouble, I guarantee we would have seen Half-Life 3 years ago. But they that they don't have money trouble because they've got Steam. They make so much money off Steam, they can afford to work until they get it right. And I'm hoping Alex is going to be right. Yeah. It's, that, it's one of those games that should have came out years earlier. But no, the tech hasn't been there until recently. Keep in mind, VR is a new thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Oculus Rift only was in 2012. Mm-hmm. You um, couldn't get a, you couldn't even get a prototype for a couple of years after that. It was another couple of years before they released the first Tumor Edition. Yeah, and like the, the the marketable um, VR gear that we've got now. Like, it, like, what's the Valve VR gear costume? Index is about a thousand US dollars. Okay, compared to I think a decade a decade ago it was seen on fifteen thousand dollars was the cheapest you could get hold of, and that was not including all the um, computer hardware. That was just the actual headset and so forth. The actual computer you needed for it was another massive expense. Yeah. It had to have, uh, I think it was three or four tower systems to operate. Um, you go back 20 years, you're looking at it was the thing of airlines and the military were the only people that were seriously considering because it was so yeah. expensive. So a proper airline grade flight simulator for training real pilots is a cockpit sitting on hydraulic rams so that they can tilt it up and down with a really clever wraparound screen that gives you a 3D effect and they use an entire server room 
to run one simulator. Mm -hmm. So this is nowhere on that scale, but uh, obviously. So um, but the fact is you can now run a VR experience that would have been inconceivable um, even just a couple of years ago for only a couple of thousand dollars, which is a lot. And only about uh, 1% of Steam users have a VR headset at the moment. Mm -hmm. But it um, it's a huge leap forward for VR technology. And I think Alex is the killer app. I'm looking at the, the video for it here at the moment and on YouTube and it's looking amazing. Like it kind of makes me want to actually get hold of a VR headset just so I could actually go play this. Oh yeah. Like I'm waiting for the index to release in Australia. I plan to uh, save up and buy one eventually, but um, this has got me really hyped. No, just let's hope it's not a, uh, a no man's day. <sighs> or a star citizen buck. <laughs> well, actually, did you see, was it during the week I saw somewhere they've raised, is it 200, 250 million or 350 million dollars? I think it was 250. 250 million dollars and they still haven't got a game on the market. <laughs> Yeah, they're still in the uh, very early stage. There is a product. The very early stage. <laughs> nowhere, nowhere near complete. Bucky's getting all mad. Two hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> Grandpa, American. take your medicine and go to bed. <laughs> At the very early stage, that sounds so bad. $250 million that they've stolen from people and they still haven't got a working product that's marketable. I'm sorry, but that, that's, I, I, that's 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 the, the stark one. That, that's that's the absolute biggest rip-off I've ever heard of. Uh, Buck, if you if you want the uh, Australian version of it, you're not going to like it. I'm not interested. $369 million, Aussie. Yeah. <laughs> You realise that when they, when Holden developed the the VY Commodore, they spent a billion dollars on it, and it was it was like one of the biggest things. Like everyone in the automotive world was shocked that someone had spent a billion dollars developing a car, and they made a thing about it, the billion dollar baby. You can yes. normally develop an a, a car that is on the market and in production for two hundred and fifty million dollars, and even really big games like GTA Five cost a couple of hundred million dollars. And this one's still basically just a demo. So we'll see if it ever actually shows. But Half-Life Alex is looking much more solid. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I saw the trailer and, yeah. my God, the G-Man looks cr- even more scarier than the what's, previous versions. What's really brutal is having Eli say, honey, don't look. <laughs> Oh man! But uh, <laughs> he's not lucky. I, I think I'm just going to shut up at the moment because that's just ridiculous. I hope. I hope though this game. You hope. <laughs> I hope Alex brings about Half-Life 3 because I think the world has been waiting for this game for so well, long. You like this? Yeah. Valve have said that it's re-energized them, <laughs> that they they feel they're ready to go. And the coolest part is that they um they bring in, um what's his name, Mark Laidlaw as a consultant. So they've still got the original writers on as consultants, even if they've left company. So it should be, should hold up. Oh, please let not be fake news though because well, it's not oh. fake news they're definitely making Half-Life Alex. what would be fake news is if they say it's going to be the biggest game ever you're going to have a million planets it's going to have multiplayer and then people <laughs> prove you wrong within two hours of launch <laughs> like Google Stadia <laughs> no like No Man's Sky <laughs> well I was thinking um, a more apt version of a failure would be um, oh. 
Uh, <laughs> I think Bucks got uh, someone angry at him about it. Um, <laughs> started as in rant. <laughs> anyway, he's, get, he's getting a obscene phone call from <laughs> Steve. Yeah. from Starters. <laughs> the uh, the best part about Alex is that it's going to be playable. Right, they're designing it for the Valve Index, which has really cool controllers. Yeah, but um, they also have um, it's going to be playable on basically any headset. That's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. So you could get a a well, so a, a Windows Mixed Reality headset. So a an Asus or a Samsung for a couple of hundred bucks. Hook it up to Alex and get most of the experience, which I think is a uh, Craig. Why do you do this? Because he's Gen Z. He couldn't handle the stress. <laughs> Craig's even younger than Gen Z. Well, you go. Craig's only been around for a couple of years. <laughs> and for the very confused listener, that is Craig, the recording software we use, which decided once again it wanted to crash. He, he crapped his nappy. So, what I was saying before uh, we were so rudely interrupted, Craig, is that the headset is, well, the game is compatible with any headset, which I think is a great move for VR adoption. I think the VR market is too small to lock yourself into a particular headset. You won't get any sales that way. And the um, Valve's just gone and said, this will work on basically any headset. So, Yeah, yeah what I was going to say before, I got really interrupted by somebody. Um, yeah, we were hypothesizing that it was the Star Citizen people. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I wish they'd show up here. Get some money's <laughs> worth out of them. Um, but no, actually, what I was going to say is if, if, it, if it's a complete failure, it'd be more like um, Fallout 76. <laughs> Where before the before the it was actually released, they had all the pre-release stuff with all the different um, streamers and so forth. And oh, I forget his name. The he's one of the only ones I actually enjoy watching most of the time. Um, the you actually put me on to him, Professor. Oh, the, many a true nerd. Many a true nerd. I don't know why I keep forgetting that. Um, yeah, he said it was basically it, he he was disappointed with how empty it felt, and that was the pre-release. Yeah, the uh, launch of 76 was not great. Like, Neither has most of the other things to do with that. Yeah. But um, anyway, on to the shout-outs. Well, sorry, on to the games of the week. What have you been playing, DJ? Um, I've been playing Undefeated. Very, very interesting game. Uh, it's basically um, Superman. It's a Superman em- um, simulator. Cool. So I'm trying to think of a game that reminds me of um, where you... It's a first-person game where you play as a superhero with the laser vision and the fly and all that. Uh, third person, actually. Yeah, this one's third person, but the one I'm thinking of is first person. Ah, okay. But this ver- but this version doesn't have the la- whole laser vision and in- intervision. You get only uh, super speed and flight. Oh, you, uh... get, you get the, the um, sonic clap and strength. Oh, yeah. yeah. You just put out a fire by clapping his hands and he flipped a huge concrete slab off of someone. Yeah. Although it's kind of weird. After he flipped a concrete slab off him, it said, save. I don't think you'd be saved just because someone lifted a huge concrete slab off of you. Well, maybe he was squishing a bad guy. Here we go. So the game I'm thinking is Megaton Rainfall. Ah, okay. This is ah. actually looking pretty cool. Yeah. The, the I will say this. Um, the flight mechanics in this game are brilliant. They are brilliant. It's beautiful to look at. I mean, it, it's so good to look at the look at the look at your hero fly in the sky across the city. The mm-hmm. other also beautiful part about this is the flight mechanics as well. I mean, granted, it's only uh, it's similar to Batman Ar- Arkham Asylum 
style fighting fighting system. But yeah, it's it's nice to play this game. And the interesting part about this, this was a college project. That's pretty cool. I wonder if uh, it's big enough to be noticed by any of the larger developers because Valve are quite well known for uh, picking up uni students from DigiPen University. That's yeah. where they got the team for uh, Portal. Mm-hmm. And there's another one I don't remember, but every couple of years it seems they, for a while, they were picking up a new team of graduates. Yeah. The uh, the game academy behind for this game is called the Vantan um, Game Academy, and they're based in Tokyo. So okay. they're pretty. That's pretty cool. You know uh, who um, might pick them up? One of the anime studios or um, Microsoft, because Microsoft is following a lot of this sort of talent now as well. Yes, Microsoft's finally getting back into games. <laughs> finally, we four. Well, it's not just even just the games. It's just like the whole genius level of development and software engineering involved for something like this Microsoft has always valued that sort of talent and yeah I can see them chasing after someone producing something like this yeah there are some downsides to this game though um, like for example the the environment's not destructible per se like you know how in some um, superhero games that and maybe GTA for example the environment will, will react very quickly like if you crash into a building or something like that in this one there is a crash but you don't see the impact and stuff make a ton of rainfall has to struggle buildings you yeah. can like use your laser vision to cut chunks out of buildings yeah, yeah so anyway what have you played buck i have been playing a game called raid shadow legends by a company called plarium um and it's a game you can actually do cross play you can actually play it on your mobile or your pc ah that explains that then because i'm sure i'd seen it on pc but then you said you're playing a mobile game well actually no i didn't say i was playing a mobile game i just said i was playing raid shadow legends I Okay, well, the link you've given us is to the... Uh, that was the version. DJ. DJ. Boom. What? what is a mobile... It's, it's a mobile boom. game and you, play it on your, you can play it on your PC as well. You can actually... Oh. It's cross-play. Um, you can have it going on both platforms. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you can have it up there so you've got a bigger screen and operate it all. Um, it's a lot of fun. So what's it about? Um, it's developing yourself an army of heroes to go out and fight the bad guys. I haven't really bothered with the story. That's just, uh, um, you got PV, PVE and PVP combat. Um, it's RPG sort of stuff to a certain extent where you develop your characters and heroes to fight and you got different classes. So you got um, orcs and elves and all sorts of stuff. And it's a turn-based fighting. So you go out and you battle in different areas and some points you've only got two he- one hero or two heroes and up to five heroes at a time um, battling against opponents and you weapons and magic and whatnot yeah fantastic graphics um you got options there where there's every day you get 15 automatic play play rounds or something so you can level up your characters a bit quicker so you can set them on a particular section of um the campaign and they'll battle through and you can have automatic play and everything like that and um yeah it improves the stats on your character so you can go face the bigger characters which is something you got to do so yeah what's the biggest flaw you've encountered in that game um haven't really encountered any like for, for what it's what it is it's 
actually doing pretty well. It's running smooth. It's pretty, pretty clean and so forth. Um, yeah. Okay. Like, I'd like to be able to choose characters a bit more, but you, you just get random selections. Like, you, you get um, summoning stones to summon new heroes that you can sacrifice into increase, uh, into de- developing your other characters' levels and increasing them and boosting them up levels and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. How big's the tech tree or this type of kit? Or- um, it's, it's actually reasonably decent. Like, there's... um. Because you've got different areas that you can improve. So you can actually improve the character. You can improve the armor and weapons that they're using. And you can upgrade that. And then you've got um, the, the skills, which is different spells or whatever. And then you've got other areas. And yeah, it's okay. fairly extensive. And you can customize your character in lots of different ways on the skill level and the upgrade rather than appearance. But yeah, okay. considering uh, the fact that it's a free for play, it's pretty good. I might check it out. Yeah, likewise. I've been playing Counter-Strike Global Offensive, specifically the um, arms race mode, which is the official implementation of the classic gun game mode from the custom servers back in the day. You uh, kill an enemy to level up, and each time you level up, you get a different gun. Uh, mm-hmm. First player to get through all the guns wins. I've actually been... Oh, I still prefer it with my mouse and keyboard, but I did give it a go with the Steam Troller. I decided to pick one up now that they're officially discontinued because I've wanted one for a while but uh, never got around to it and I've got to say it feels really nice I hope there's a controller too like a number two because it feels better than I think it's better than the Xbox controller which is what I used to use when I was uh, gaming the hardest part to get used that the sticks are replaced with concave touchpads but huh. uh, I, I still need to put more time in on it to get really used to the uh, controller and get a final opinion though so how many nerdy beanies will you give Counter-Strike Global Offensive uh uh, well, the arms race mode specifically, I'd give uh, a three out of five. Okay. Because um, I think, oh, I think it's flawed. I'm not sure what it is exactly about it, the flawed, but something feels off for me. Yep. It might be the specific order that the weapon progression goes in. I'm okay. not sure. Um, I think it is that actually. How many nerdy beanies will you give undefeated? Um, I'll give it three. I I give it three out of five. I mean, there are some flaws in the game, and it's there is the grind element into this game, but overall, it's a good it's a good game. Like with the flight mechanics and everything, the flight mechanics and yeah, and the and the challenges. So even I'll give it three out of five. Good okay. job, of those guys that made it. So yeah, I'll give um, Raid Shadow Legends three and a half. The the grind can be a bit painful, but yeah, overall, it's a decent game. Okay, so on to the shout outs on the. 3rd of December 1854, the Battle of the Eureka Stockade took place. More than 20 gold miners in Ballarat, Victoria, were killed by state troopers in an uprising over mining license. I sometimes wonder, well, specifically since it came up this week, I was uh, wondering how history might be different if the strikers had won. I feel like it might have spiraled into a full independence movement in Australia. <laughs> What are you giggling at, DJ? Can you imagine yourself in, uh, saying, like, I am the I am the man that inspired the whole movement? Well, there was one guy, Hita Taylor, I think, who inspired the whole, well, who led the whole Eureka Stockade. So there was a leader of the uh, of the movement. But they, they had a lot of uh, detail. They built a, a fortress. They came off their own flag. They fought the, uh, yeah. fought the police. Hita Actually, no, 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 no. They didn't fight the police. They fought the Redcoats. Okay, they fought the Redcoats. 
Bandicoots. Yeah, but yes, um, that was part of the issue. So they didn't have police. They only had the military. True. And the uh, the mining licenses detail was that the price of the mining license kept going up. The government was basically taxing them theft. Uh, the British government at the time, because Australia wasn't federated yet. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so they got upset about the price and it snowballed from there. Yeah. Can you believe it? It's uh, It's been 165 years. Uh, there's oh. been lots of things that have been longer on this section for. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I wasn't around, so yeah. <laughs> well, Neither was I. Yeah. Here's the thing with Peter Layla. He is an interesting player. He was the rebel leader who's first to fame as the leading the Eureka Stockade, an event controversially identified with the birth of democracy in Australia. What? <laughs> okay, then. He's famous for being the only outlaw to make it to Parliament. Yeah, part of the problem, like one of the, I can't remember, Peter Lately, he was an Irishman, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah. So it was all, I think a lot of this was linked back to the fight for independence in Ireland and they were trying to steal, like he was trying to create a similar situation here in Australia to what had happened in America as well. And yeah, it was just, like, there was a lot of issues that were going wrong and yeah, it, but there was a lot of underhanded stuff going on the other way as well. Because I remember reading somewhere that there was, there was um, someone said that Peter Layla had was one of those people he hung around the gold fields but never actually did any mining. So a pretty standard politician, right? Basically, yeah. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. Like, as I said, wasn't there. I haven't really studied it enough in depth. But yeah, it was something I remember reading years ago. I used to remember yes. watching the Eureka Stockade movie and that was uh, good times, good times. Really? You enjoyed it? Yeah. Huh? Well, I, was a ki- I was a kid and, you know, guns and, you know, it was like watching a spaghetti western at times. How dare you? <laughs> I'm going to move it along before the DJ digs himself any deeper. You're going to strike gold there soon, DJ. <laughs> On the 3rd of December, 1994, the original PlayStation was launched. Woo-hoo! I've actually got one sitting beside me at the moment. I uh, don't have it plugged in at the moment. I don't have a suitable TV. But I, uh, yeah, Doug Adari's going to clean it up and hopefully get it working. <laughs> and on the 3rd of December, 2014, the Japanese space agency JAXA launched the launched the Explorer Hayabusa 2 from the Tanegashima Space Center. And uh, the spacecraft touched down on Ryugu, the asteroid, in early 2019 and should come back in late 2020. Uh, yeah, landing a uh, rocket on a space probe on an asteroid and bringing it back is pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, on the 3rd of December, 20, an immature, inter- immature. <laughs> Indian amateur <laughs> NASA find the uh, failed moon mission Shamuga Subramanian A. Oh, no, sorry, that's his name. Shamuga Subramanian. He's a software <laughs> engineer and he uh, looked at satellite images to help NASA locate debris of India's ill fated mission to the moon, which I believe we covered a few months ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was it called again? Well, it doesn't have the name of it in the show notes. CJ, you've done yeah. again. The wording of this Indian amateur helps NASA reveal fate of failed moon mission, Samuga Subramanian. Punctuation, man. What you should have is failed moon mission full stop then you wouldn't be messing with my head <laughs> and uh, remembrances on the 3rd of December 1888 Carl Zeiss the German scientific instrument maker optician and businessman founded the workshop named after him in 1846 and it's still in business today as Carl Zeiss AG he, um, he gathered a group of opticians and glassmakers and 
had a huge part in developing camera lenses and telescopes. He died from a stroke at the age of 72. On the third of December. Sorry? The failed um, moon mission was the yep. Vikram moon lander, which was actually a joint India and Israel. Okay. On the 3rd of December, 1894, Robert Louis Stevenson, famous for Treasure Island, kidnapped the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and a children's garden, children's garden, a child's garden of verses. I'm not reading well right now. DJ, what have you done to my brain? <laughs> and we've got even better names coming up for you too. Oh no. Oh, oh by the way, Buck, it's actually the uh, Chandra Ryan 2. That's the mission. That's the mission, but it was the Vikram moon lander. Oh, okay. I have so, my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's ranked as the 26th most uh, translated author in the world. He died of a hemorrhagic stroke at 44 in Valima Appia. And on the uh, here's the fub one. <laughs> Gotta got stretch my mouth to warm up for for this. On the 3rd of December 1984, Vladimir Abramovich Rocklin, the Azerbaijani and Soviet mathematician, he made numerous contributions to a huge number of theories there, uh, such including. As? <laughs> sorry? Such as? Oh, I don't want to read them all out. Algebraic, <laughs> topology, geometry, measure theory, probability theory, ergodic theory, and entropy theory. That wasn't hard, was it? Well, I don't want to just read from the article. I'm not the DJ. <laughs> he died from a heart attack at 62 in Leningrad, now known as St. Petersburg, because that city's changed names more times than I've changed socks. And onto the famous birthdays, 3rd of December, 1857, Joseph Conrad, Polish-British writer regarded as one of the greatest novelists to write in the English language. Ah, <laughs> this, is, this is another one. you got to get his um, proper name. Yes, I'll get there. Um, he didn't speak English until his 20s, but he was a master prose stylist who brought a non-English sensibility into English literature. His most famous work is uh, Heart of Darkness, which was made into the movie Apocalypse Now. DJ, you haven't given me his full name there. Oh, I want to spare you the <laughs> spare you the agony. I'm going to do it. Okay. <laughs> Joseph Theodore Conrad Kozanowski. Oh. He was born in Berdichy. And on the 3rd of December, 1960, we have Julianne Moore, the American actress and children's author. She's known for her portrayals of emotionally troubled women in both independent and Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. She had Oscar nominations for Boogie Nights and was in Big Lebowski. Hannibal, Children of Men, Crazy Stupid Love, and won an Emmy for Sarah Palin in the film Game Change. I think it's... Palin? Yeah, however you say it. I don't speak American. (laughs) Even Sarah Palin doesn't pronounce it like an American. She pronounces it kind of strange too. I don't think it's funny that she went from playing Clara Starling in Hannibal, a detective hunting a cannibal, to being in Kingsman the Golden Circle where she's making boy eat each other. Yes. Also on the 3rd of December 1960, we have Daryl Hannah, the American actress, environmental. She's known for her role as Pris Stratton in Blade Runner, which was one of her first few roles, and she went right out of the gate. She was amazing. Mm-hmm. She played Ellie Driver in the uh, Kill Bill films. She was born in Chicago, Illinois. And the events of interest. On the 3rd of December, 1736, astronomer Anders Celsius takes measurements from Newton's theory that the Earth was an ellipsoid rather than the previously accepted sphere. And I'm sure we can all guess what else he was famous for. He proposed a Celsius scale. Among other things, he's actually, there's a few things that he did, so there. Um, yeah. With the uh, with the, new, um, the Earth being ellipsoid, uh, here's an interesting fact for you. It was part of an expedition organised um, by the French Academy 
Academy of Sciences, uh, led by French mathematician Pierre-Louis Maltepertuis, um, to measure the degree of latitude. Um, the aim of the expedition was to measure the length of a degree along a meridian close to the pole and compare the result with a similar expedition to Peru. Ah, who can't speak, say names now, DJ? <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, the expedition confirmed Isaac Newton's belief. So take that, flat earthers. Take that. But how does that fit with the theory of the Earth being a donut? Hmm. And moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Can we make that into a Jeff? I mean, a gift? <laughs> I swear to God, Buck, you won't live to make your graduation. On the 3rd of December 1967, the 53-year-old Louis Wyshkansky received the first human heart transplant at Grootscure Hospital in Cape Town, South Africa. Grootscure. Okay. He received, I am Grootscure. <laughs> he received um, a transplant. Um, well, that's, that's actually a person. Yeah, I assume it is. <clears throat> he received a transplant from Denise Darvel, a 25-year-old woman fatally injured in a car accident. Unfortunately, he died 18 days later, but not due to heart issues. His heart functioned normally until his death. And on the 3rd of December 1992, Neil Papworth, a test engineer for SEMA Group, used a personal computer to send the world's first text message, Merry Christmas, via the Vodafone network, the phone of Richard Jarvis, who was at a party in Berkshire, which had been organised to celebrate the event. I love how many big events and parties were based around the first time someone sent a message using a computer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I've just remembered someone who uh, who we missed from our remembrances. Brady Smith, the lead singer from uh, Mental as Anything, passed away on the second. Yes. Mm. Would it be inappropriate if I said he's no longer in it up? Actually, I reckon he was enough of a party animal he'd actually enjoy it. There is another person. Uh, there is another person that we need sh- we we should have added on to the remembrances that was that's pretty famous in the Star Trek community. Oh, who is it? Uh, DC Fontana. She oh, is. I saw that. And I fought DC Comics, somebody called Fontana who works for DC Comics. Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's uh, Dorothy Catherine Fontana. Yeah, she died on the 2nd of December. Uh, she's an American television scriptwriter and story editor, best known for her work on the original Star Trek franchise. And she also worked on um, Genesis 2 and then story story editor and associate producer at Star Trek the Animated Series and a couple of and a couple of uh, movies like Logan's Run, uh, Buck Rogers in the 20 uh, in a couple of TV series, mind you, The 6 Million Dollar Man and Buck Rogers in the 25th century yeah okay yeah but uh that's everyone for tonight dj where can they find us uh they can find us on uh twitter facebook instagram that's our canon.com where we have an archive of our old episodes and merchandise um uh, they can also email us at nerds.amalgamate at gmail.com all of they can all of the links will be posted on on the show notes all right so buck are you going to give us your classic outro um yeah actually Actually, I'd just like to also take a moment to say please um, spare a thought for the firefighters who were once again out battling fires around the country. Um, yeah, just take a moment to just think about what they're putting their lives in danger for us. So, yeah, but otherwise, remember to look out for yourselves, take care of each other, and stay hydrated, especially in this ridiculous heat. See you guys. And we will see you next week. Hooroo.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.